Hello and welcome to Scouring the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2021 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter, and joining me as he will be every week is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at The Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hi, JJ. How are you? I'm pretty good, man. Pretty good. Draft week is finally here. So after 11 weeks of episodes of Scouting the Culture, trying to educate and inform the people listening and ourselves on the prospects of the 2021 NFL Draft, we finally see what Scott Fitter and Matt Rule have up their sleeves for the Panthers going forward. So I'm excited to see what they actually do. You know, it's been a grueling offseason of speculation around several positions, you know, of need for the Panthers to include quarterback, tackle, cornerback. And so we finally get to, to fill some of those positions of need. So um, this is exciting for me, man. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked, you know, to get to Thursday and, and see how the weekend goes. But before we get into the draft itself, the Panthers had some pretty big news this week in the signing of Daquan Jones, a defensive tackle from the Tennessee Titans feeling a need across the defensive front. Uh, what did you think about the, the signing of Daquan Jones? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, obviously the Panthers have had sort of had a needed defensive tackle throughout the offseason, particularly after the release of Kerr and, and Short. And obviously, this, you know, the fact that they've signed a D-tackle is not that surprising. Um, the fact that Daquan Jones is a little surprising. He's more of a, like a run defender than he is a pass rusher. So he feels like more of a replacement for Kerr than he does for Short. Um, he can play a bit of uh, three-tech, but he is, he is more of like a one-tech slash nose tackle. So he, it, I'm not sure how often we'll see both him and Brown on the field together. And I'm not sure what this means for Bravery on Roy and his fit with the defense. Um, but I think it kind of, it definitely is a good player to add on. I don't think it's, it's an unreasonable value in terms of what they gave him. Um, but I think it does probably still leave the door open for them to add at least one three-tech in the draft, if not multiple three-techs throughout the rest of this offseason. So I, I, I don't think this is a full stop to the defensive tackle position. It's more of a, a bolstering of a, of a potential weakness. And, and that's how I saw it too. I was reading through a lot of the comments, you know, from when the signing was announced on Twitter, whether it was um, Ian Rappaport or um, Adam Schefter, one of them. Okay. Um, I can't remember who it was, but I was reading a lot of the commentary from, from Titans fans. And, and one of the Titans fans actually responded to a, a tweet I made regarding the signing. And seeing, you know, and, and what he was saying was that we're going to get a, a really good player against the run, somebody who could be a good mentor, you know, for the young guys on defense. Said that we wouldn't get much of a pass rush from him. And so, you know, that aligns with what you say. You know, he's more like a one-tech more than anything. And we probably still need to, to go out there and find at least, you know, one or two, three techs via the yeah. draft or, you know, continuing in free agency. I don't know how many other guys are out there in free agency right now. I mean, but KK is still out there, so I think that's probably not completely out of the question. I think it's really... I, I, I think it's a, I, I think it's made less likely by the fact they've gone out and signed another veteran. I think if it was going to be... Like, if it's going to be one veteran, a bunch of young guys, this feels like maybe that veteran. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think KK, you know, if, you know, what it does mean is that if they can't find a three-tech in the draft, I think KK will then definitely be an option... I think Gina Atkins is still unsigned as well. I'm not sure. Oh, that's right. Who else is. 
That's right. You know, I keep forgetting about Geno Atkins, who was a dominant D-tackle for a long time. And I know he's a, a little long in the tooth now, but I'm sure he can still add some value, especially situationally. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I guess, the, you know, in the past, you know, in the obvious past situation, I think he can still be disruptive, get penetration, especially with the, the edges we have. He could definitely, you know, wreak some habit with limited steps. So, you know, there's still some options out there in free agency. But, you know, I think right now I'm more interested to see if they can find some, some you know, day two gems or maybe day three gems at, at three tech. And you know, there, there could be a couple of guys out there who can develop into somebody who can yeah, offer the same I, thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at this draft class, they're, they're not going to draft a three-tech in the first round, or if they do, it would be completely out of left field. Um, right. So, so it's it's going to be a day two, early day three type need, I think. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how it, it goes. I think it, it depends a little bit on how how much they trust Morgan Fox as a three-tech. Um, yeah. And, and, and uh, Yito Grossmantos as well, both guys who, who are ends who have moved inside a bit and... If they think they can between them play a lot of three tech snaps, it makes it less of a need. But I, I think right now, if you if you look if you saw the Panthers have to play next week, I think they would struggle for interior pass rush. And I think that's, I don't, you know, you don't have to be elite at everything, but I think particularly if you're going to play a lot of zone, which they have. I mean, again, it depends what they do. Like if you draft JC Horn in the first round and you go and play loads of man, then maybe it's less of an issue. But if you're playing right. loads of man, it's not clear why you're going to a three four front. Because that's probably more, you know, the three four works best when you're in a zone defense. Right. Um, because then you can disguise more. Whereas ultimately, if you're playing man to man, you've got to have a man over every man kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it, 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 I would have thought it would be, yeah, I would have thought three tech would certainly be something they, they kind of are prioritizing, even if it's not something they absolutely have to draft. Right. You know, the one thing that is interesting, and we've alluded to it in previous weeks when talking about. You know the additions of Morgan Fox and now Daquan Jones. You know we've we've kind of speculated that they would move more to an odd front, um, and, you know at least a very multiple um, defensive alignment. And when I look at these guys who they've picked up, Daquan Jones, um, Morgan Fox, again they they both come from from schemes that ran a lot of you know three man fronts. And, you know, every time I looked at some film, you know, some highlights of the guys, you know, they were all lined up in, you know, in like three, four alignments for the most part. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Panthers do, you know, already having Derrick Brown, now having Daquan Jones and, you know, Morgan Fox and, you know, you know having Braven, Braven and Roy in the midst and you know, potentially adding some more guys. Um, I'm, I'm really eager to see how Phil Snow adjusts in year two and, you know, and whether we see that as being more of a base concept. I know it really doesn't matter all that much, you know, because I know uh, he's going to be yeah. multiple, but, you know, just the guys that he's picking up, they seem to come from that, from that. Yeah. Scheme I think it's, it's probably going to be a case of more like rather than 60, 40, it'll be 40, 60 kind of thing. Like, I don't, I don't think it's going to be like an 80, 20 split, whatever happens. I mean, yeah. personally, I think that the big domino in that was, there was the Hassan Reddick signing in that uh, yeah. he, once you've got him and Burns, that, that starts to look an awful lot more like a three man front. Um, yeah. it's going to be very hard to get both those guys on the field in a four-man front. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. that doesn't mean that they won't play a four-man front. It just means that it'll probably be when they rotate one of those guys off the field. And in a way, that's probably good because, you know, that, I mean, Reddick played too many snaps last year, I think. I think I, I personally think Burns played a few too many snaps last year. Um, right. and, and Reddick played even more than that in terms of percentage late in the season. So I think if those guys are playing 70% of the snaps, 
and they're you know I think that's more like what what you'd want to see rather than the 80 90 that they were playing um, yeah. and, and that means that they're more effective for those 70 percent and you can rotate in guys like Gross Matos or Morgan Fox or, or Christian Miller if he comes back and uh, Marquis Hayne so maybe if they go and draft someone as well I mean you it gives you some flexibility um and I think it, it means that you'll probably be be switching between three and four man fronts quite a bit, but probably more focus on legitimate um, three, four looks rather than just like the three man drop eight type look they ran at times. Right, right, yeah. They, those those looks were more like that. It's like a three, three alignment. And um, I, you know, <laughs> before I get too deep into that, I, I really hate it when we went to three man fronts, you know, in the season last year, because we mostly went to those fronts when we were trying to, to make some key stops down the stretch on third downs or third and long. And, and seemingly we gave up a lot of those third and nines, third and 11s, you know, yeah. in that three-man front, you know, and, and especially against the Vikings, man. I just, I mean, for so many reasons, that game was horrible, but <laughs> but those three-man fronts late, you know, it's just. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think they have a very limited place in the NFL. I, I mean, I, I think the Panthers' issue last year was that they struggled to get a consistent pass rush from anyone who wasn't called Brian Burns. Um, yes. And it's one of those things where if you're not going to get pressure with four, then don't bother rushing four, just rush three. Because if you're not going to get pressure, you might as well not get pressure with three than with four. Um, right. So in the same way that I think the second Buccaneers game, they they realised they were going to struggle to get pressure to play zone. So they tried to play man and then got ripped apart because they didn't yeah, have the yeah. current yet. But, but I, I think last year was very much a case of a defence that did not have all the pieces to be good. That, that right. probably played about as well as you could have expected given the talent they had. And that doesn't mean that they were all bad and kind of that, but they just, they had distinct weaknesses. They didn't have corners who could play man coverage and they didn't have interior pass rush after KK went down. And, and that's that's a pretty limiting combination. If you have to play zone, but you can't get pass rush, you're uh, you're going to struggle. And, and and that's a question going into this season for me too. I know we picked up AJ Bouye, and he'll be suspended for the first two games of the season. But when I look at the cornerback group, you know we still are bringing back, you know, much of the same guys. You know, with uh, Dante Jackson, Troy Pride Jr. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Stanley Thomas. Um, Stanley Thomas Oliver. Yeah, I, 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 I think Bouye over um, Douglas is a big change. Not because I think Rizal yeah. Douglas isn't a good player, because I think Rizal Douglas is actually a perfectly decent corner, but he is very much like one scheme suited. Like you can't be particularly flexible schematically with, with Rizal Douglas out there. Right. Um, whereas Bouye is a bit more flexible. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, when, when Bouye gets on the field, I think it's going to be a big addition. So, you know, that'll be week three at the yeah. earliest. I'm still eager for the Panthers to address the cornerback group, you know, in the draft. And I think, yeah, they no, I think they should, they should. Yeah. yeah I mean, I it, it, it's, it's, it's such a deep cornerback draft that if you're not addressing cornerback on day two, it's either because somebody really good has fallen to you or because you're not, no one's making a mistake, but I think you'd, if the Panthers finish day two without a cornerback, they either need to have really nailed their picks or have a or have a, a look at why they didn't because there are a, at least half a dozen good cornerbacks in this draft and that's a lot more than you usually get. Like you know, right, I, right. I, I mean, when we did the corner when we did the cornerback episode, you know, that was pretty eye opening because you know you revealed some guys who would be available on day two that I wasn't even tracking. You know, specifically the the cornerback from Kentucky. I, I can't. Yeah, Calvin Joseph. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just guys like that having that kind of talent that deep into the draft, 
Yeah, so if we came away, you know, with none of those guys, you know, after day two, it would be a bit shocking. But like you said, you know, it would have to be a case where the value that we were able to get, you know, at the, you know with whoever we pick instead of them, you know, would have to be like really great, you know, because they dropped to us in that position. Yeah, yeah. The one, th- the one thing that bothers me a little bit and, you know, before we get into exactly what we anticipate happening, I know we went into the offseason with, but once we realized what our uh, compensation picks were, I think we had eight picks, right? Uh, yes, eight or nine. Yeah, eight picks, yeah. So we have we had eight picks, but we gave one of those picks up for the Sam Donald acquisition. Yeah. So now we sit at seven. Yes. Given that we only have seven picks, and I still think we have like a bunch of needs. I I, I heard Scott Fitter mention that they had, they had explored trading back with at least five teams, I, be, I think he really, I think he said it was five teams that that they spoken with about moving back. But you know they weren't all you know talking about moving back from the eighth overall pick, but just throughout the draft. And oh, no, I think I think those talks would have been from the eighth pick. Like uh, yeah, was it was it all for the eighth pick? I, I mean, I, I, if you're negotiating trading down the second right now, you're completely insane because you have no idea who's going to be on the board. I actually like, think he, I, I think he said that, but maybe he was like blowing smoke. But no, no, I, I think I think I think he meant they talked to at least five teams about the eighth pick. Um, I think okay. what he meant was they talked about teams at various points in the draft, so teams that are at say the. 12th pick teams are oh, the 15th you. pick yeah, yeah, teams yeah. are the 25th pick so no but i don't yeah. think they're talking about trading their fourth for two fifths and a seventh oh, okay right? yeah so that that made sense to me I, I was listening while i was doing something else but yeah i did recall him saying that they taught the teams at various points through the draft so i interpreted that you know as like not just focused on what's going on in the first round but no, maybe no, in the, the second round or third round too but i would be but astounded if they were talking about trades outside the first round i would be hey man you know scott is a wild and crazy guy man i thought he might be you know getting ahead of the, the curve a little bit but um but at, at the end of the day though i i kind of perked up when i heard that because I really want more than than seven picks. Uh, yeah. I want to see how that looks. I know it'd be great to come away, you know, with nine picks this year. You know, you know, somehow, you know, you know, through willing and dealing, and yeah. especially with as much talent as you said. Because sometimes I feel like in other draft scenarios, we've you know we've gone through you know with going offensive line maybe back to back in the first and the second. You know, it's like okay, you know, like the possibility of not getting one of those corners you know, at the end of, you know, day two becomes very real. And I'm trying to avoid that. <laughs> so it would be nice to get a, an additional day two pick yeah. or so you know, to where I know I can get one of those guys. I, I, I think there's kind of a couple of things to know in that regard. I think one, ultimately, you you set your board and then you live by it. I mean, you, you can't try and, I mean, I, I remember, I, mean, I think you, you heard this as well, when Adam Peters gave an interview, the, the 49ers um, sort of deputy GM type yeah. guy. He gave an interview talking about the acquisition of George Kittle and talking about how they basically, they knew he was going to fall, so they waited for him in the fifth or the fourth, right. which it was now. I think you have to be really brave slash foolish to do that. Like, cause it might work out, yeah. but if he goes like five picks ahead of you, you look like an absolute idiot. Like if you've got a guy graded yeah. as your 14th player on the board and you have no one else in your top 50 left, then take the guy who's like a ground higher than everyone else. Like don't, you can't try and get too cute and try and work out who's going to be there around from now. Cause you just don't, it takes one team for a guy to go four rounds higher than anyone else expected. It, it you know, it takes one team. So I don't think you can try and get too cute in terms of strategy. What what I would say is there's a a couple of notes from what Fitter has said in his press conference. One was that he thinks the 
is a really strong sort of second tier of talent. The sort of 20 to 50 range of prospects is really strong. And I think what that means in practice is that the Panthers would do well to try and acquire one. If they can get another top 50 pick, I think that would be great. Um, mm-hmm. Because that then also frees you up to be more flexible with the 39th pick in terms of staying there or trading back because you can see how the draft evolves between when you pick and, and 39. But also that given that probably other teams are going to have a few disagreements about who those top 50 players are, if you can get picks in that 60, 70, 80 range, if you, you, know, if you can acquire picks in, in, in that range, you can then pick off the guys who drop out of your top 50 prospects. Because they'll right. be, you know, potentially your top 50 prospects could go with the top 50 picks. That's fairly unlikely. Um, I would say it's extremely unlikely, frankly. And so if you can get two or three picks, Panthers already got one at 39 and one at 73. If you can get another pick or even two picks between, say, pick 50 and pick 80, I think that would be a really good thing for the Panthers to try and achieve because that that gives you multiple shots at that kind of bottom end of that second tier. And obviously, it's the, probably going to be the bottom end of that second tier. But, you know, you, if you can get four players out of your top 50, that's that's fantastic. I mean, that that's that's really, really great. Um, yeah. Particularly, I mean, if you can get four or five guys out of your top 50, that would be outstanding. So I, I think if the Panthers do trade down, and I think, I don't wrong, I think it would be a good idea to trade down in most situations. You will be able to see who's there, but I think there's a, a real rationale behind trading down, certainly towards the early mid-teens, um, into that top 16 player tier that they, they talked about, making sure you don't go beyond that. But if you can do that and add either a top 50 pick or multiple top 80 picks, I think that's that would be the, the ideal scenario for me. And, and that's what I'm hoping for too. I just want us to have you know, a lot of ammunition to go after guys who we feel could you know fit this team and and fit a you know fill a lot of the holes that we have you know on both sides of the ball. I just don't want to you know get to day two and you know you only have you know three picks in in the first two days and you know and it feels like an overwhelming amount of pressure to make sure you get those right. You know it'd be good to have like an additional pick you know to have some flexibility and you know and, and more of an opportunity to to miss. Uh, but yeah. I want to hit. I want to hit them. I want to hit on them all, especially. And I think you know honestly, when I look at last year's draft. I think, you know, we did well with the first three picks we had. And, yeah. you know, when you look at Derrick Brown, you look at Eter Gross Matos and, um, and Jeremy Chen, you know, moving up into the second to get him. You know, I, I know that they'll get aggressive if they see the guy that they want. Yeah. Uh, I just want them to have a little bit more ammunition to make those moves because it could be a situation where you trade, you know, you trade back and you get additional picks. But then because you got additional picks, you can also trade back up. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and that's that's kind of scenario, you know, flexibility I would like to see. You know, it's not, you know, just so I can pick more guys, you know, with the additional picks. It's just to give you flexibility to, you know, like you could want to, you know, if, if a guy that you really had high slips to the end of the first round and, and now you have, you know, an extra pick, you know, you can package that pick, you know, with, you know, with their second round pick and move up and get that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If, if, one of those, if one of those 16 players is there at pick 25, 26, 27, yeah. And you've got, and you've added up, you know, an extra second. You could bundle your two seconds into a first and say a third or a fourth, and go and get one of those those top tier players, and still have, you know, multiple third round picks, kind of thing. You know, it, 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 it's uh, there is a real validity to trading down. I mean, I think we it's probably worth talking about this now. Like, 
there is no point passing on players you have much higher grades on than other players for the sake of extra picks. Like, you know, personally, I think the only player who, who if the Panthers sign off on, I would not trade out of under any situation, barring the absurd, is, is Justin Fields. Okay. Um, not He is a player you, you, you have to believe in as a coaching staff because he's not there yet and you have to think that he can get there. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's, there's a really good piece that, uh, that Dan Cresso wrote for the right report this past week. I don't know if you saw it or if other people have seen it, but looking at where value is a quarterback in the draft. And basically, if you want to have a decent shot of a franchise quarterback, you've got to take them top 10. If you're not going to do that, you then have to draft in sort of the third, early fourth, because that basically there's not that much difference between drafting a guy at 20 and drafting a guy at 40 or, or 60 or 80. Uh, yeah. right. Once you get outside the top 10, you're basically rolling the dice. And yes. you might as well roll the dice as cheaply as possible, basically. Um, right. So, you know, th- there is a real drop-off in, in talent after that sort of top tier of quarterback prospects. And, and you know, I think Justin Fields can be as good as anybody in this draft. Um, Me too. I agree. My number six prospect, I think. Um, yeah, he's my number two, yeah, he's my number two quarterback. Like, he's yeah. he's an elite, elite prospect. Um, and, and he's one of those players where if if you really believe in him as a person, his ability to develop and continue to get better, then he's prospect number two. Like, you know, the, the only yeah. player I think I'd struggle to take, um, take him over is Trevor Lawrence. Right. Um, so, you know, Fields is really, really good. Um, and, and if he's there at eight, you'd want a King's ransom to, to move out of that spot. Uh, but, but sensibly, other than that, there aren't players. I can't, I don't think there's another player in this draft who, who I think is so much better than the next best player at their position or, or so much better for the Panthers than another player that moving back four spots for an extra second round pick is not going to be very tempting. You know, yeah. The different, you know, I really think Patrick Sertain is a very, very good corner, but the gap between him and JC Horn is ultimately relatively small for me. And if someone offers me a second round pick, I'm taking JC Horn in a second round pick over Patrick Sertain, you know, uh, just to be frank or, you know, I think Rashawn Slater is slightly better than Christian Darasaw, but if you're giving me a second round pick and Darasaw, I'm taking that over Slater, for example. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, like, exactly. You know, it's the, the gaps between the players for the positions the Panthers need aren't that big. And actually, while I wouldn't move back 15 spots unless you gave me an awful lot of, of, of draft capital, moving back four or five spots, I think, for either a second or multiple thirds, I think that that's, unless someone like Fields is there, I think that's just good business. And, and, and that's all I've been trying to express, you know, over the last week. You know, I've, I've tweeted about it quite a bit, you know, even before this week. I think earlier on in the offseason, I mentioned that I would like a trade back scenario. I'm, I'm just a guy who believes if you can trade back and still get your guy, then trade back and get, you know, still oh, get your guy. And, and I know a lot of people get, you know, fit say it on, you know, the, the draft pick that, you, you know, that we have, you know, and, and I know there's an argument, you know, out there. You know, amongst Twitter fans that believe if, if if you are bad enough to end up with a top ten pick, then you should pick you know your guy in the top ten. But I don't necessarily believe that. You know, so especially I, I, I don't think there is any argument for that other than emotion. Like, I, it's I, emotion. I, like it's I, very emotionally driven. Ultimately, the 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 draft works as a whole. Well, the off season roster building in general works as one combined sort of path you know you do, one pick does not stand alone you know it is not about any one pick or any one player signing or any one transaction it's about 
the summation of what you're able to achieve. And yes, trading back is always going to decrease your probability of getting the best prospect because that just fundamentally, logically has to happen. But particularly if you're making small moves in the first round, that change in probability is actually very small. And by getting multiple shots, you improve your overall ability by quite a bit. So, you know, it's the, what would you rather have a 30% chance of winning the lottery or a 25% chance of winning the lottery plus a 15% chance of winning the lottery? (laughs) You you take the 25 plus the 15. Yes, the 30 is bigger than the 25, but overall the 25 and the 15 is bigger. You know, it's, it's really not, as a, as a concept, it's really not that complicated, the argument for trading down. The key bit is you have to do it intelligently rather than desperately. Like it shouldn't be we trade down no matter what, because then you can miss on good players. And it shouldn't be we trade down because we're panicking or we trade up because we're panicking. You you have to set your board and you trust it. You know, that, that's ultimately what drafting comes down to is evaluating, quantifying your evaluations in a meaningful way and then sticking with it. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's how I see it as well. And and the confident part is, you know, as Scott Fitterer, based on things he said, you know, over the last few press conferences, he seems to have a lot of confidence in, in, in his approach. Yeah. And I, I really feel that he knows exactly what he wants to do. Um, and I'm eager to see, you know, what that looks like, you know, in a few in a few days here. So, you know, given that I know we've gone through a lot of these scenarios. Like, how do you truly anticipate this draft weekend going? Like, you know, like what would be an ideal scenario and more so than what you anticipate? Like what would be ideal for you? I think ideal is trading back five or six picks and, and still getting one of the, the the top prospects. I I think in terms of the option, well, I don't know. I, I think there's a balance between that and say someone like Justin Fields being available. Um, I think in terms of the options the Panthers might do, I think really it's kind of Justin Fields... Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, Certain Horn, uh, Penny Sewell, uh, Rashawn Slater, Christian Darasaw, or trade back, or trade back to get one of those players as well. Yeah. I, yeah, I think there are, there are some other very good players. I, I, I think from everything we've heard, like they have Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson as their top two quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I think in all likelihood, both will be gone by the third pick. Um, right. So I think the only other quarterback, I think they seem to have a very high grade on from everything I've heard is Justin Fields. Um, I would agree. I mean, I think Fields is better than Wilson, but I, you know, I think if you're not going to pick Trevor Lawrence, then take Justin Fields. Um, so I think if he's there on the board, that is a legitimate conversation to be had. Um, that is quite a big if, I think. Look, I think maybe two weeks ago, it looked relatively likely that he could be there at eight. I think I'd say it's now maybe a 40% chance is there at eight, if that, 30%, 40%. Um, yeah, I think it, it what, what it comes down to is whether or not the 49ers pick Mac Jones at three, which, you know, I, I would say 90% of what I read suggests that he's going to be their pick. But, I, I mean, we don't know. Yeah. We really I, don't know. It could be smoke screens. I don't know why it would be a smoke screen for him. But, you know, but I know that there are real um, – I, don't, I, I think there's real energy behind him going to the 49ers. And, and a lot of people can't see it because, you know, we are so enamored you know, with the the quarterbacks, with, you know, the, the special athletic traits, you know, nowadays. But I still see Kyle Shanahan as a guy who believes his scheme with the right type of quarterback can be successful. And 
I do see Mac Jones as a Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins type of guy. And I think he fits what Kyle likes to do. So it wouldn't surprise me if he went there. I think the only caveat I can think to that is that I'm not sure they had to be as aggressive as they were to go to three to get Mac Jones. I I don't think so either. But one thing I will say, though, uh, Vincent, is that if you remember, like, early in the offseason, there was a lot of buzz around Carolina and Mac Jones. Sure. At eight, you know, because uh, Matt Rule had coached him at the Senior Bowl and, you know, kind of fell in love with him a little bit. At least, you know, he came, you know, to our press conferences talking highly about his uh, leadership and, you know, his, you know, his ability with the guys. And so maybe the 49ers thought, hey, you know, we don't know what Carolina would do. Yeah, but and yeah. we need to get ahead of them. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, sure, sure. But you can get ahead of Carolina without going to three. You, you can. You, you can go, you know, the Eagles traded out of six. You could have gone to six with the Eagles. True. So True. I, I mean, and, and, and I agree with that. I, I, I perfectly agree with that. I just don't know if they, I mean, what they did is super smart, you know, for, for who they are and where they are as a team. Yeah. Because yeah. you can get to number three. And if Mac Jones is your guy and everything that you see in the offseason validates that, then, you know, you pick your guy, you, you know, you care less what everybody thinks about it. But you also get a chance to fully evaluate Justin Fields and Trey Lance and make a determination on whether or not they can be your guy. And so they they really sit in a really comfortable position. Oh, at yeah. three. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, for the people listening, I think one interesting nugget about that, too, was there was some um, reports that said that Scott Fitterer was talking to Miami to try to move up as well. I think, yeah, there was reports that Philadelphia were doing it as well. So I, I, I don't think the 49ers were alone in wanting to trade up, but I think yeah. the Panthers weren't trading up for Mac Jones. Yeah, um, I mean, so so let's look at it for like that for one second. You know, maybe you know, everybody's caught up in how much the 49ers gave up to move up to number three. But maybe they gave up that much so they can beat out a team like the Panthers from being able to move up to number three. Um, because at that point, nobody knows who anybody wants, but they know if they want to to get their pick of the guy, then they have to ante up, you know, to, to beat out a Carolina Panthers oh, or Philadelphia Eagles or whoever, you know? No, I, 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 I do understand that. I, I just think if you I – mean, I could be completely wrong. I think if you offer up that kind of draft capital, you do it knowing who you want. Yeah, I mean, that's what I that's what I think. I just think I think people are and maybe because I kind of want this to happen selfishly. I just think people are underestimating Kyle Shanahan a bit, you know, and and thinking that he's just stubborn enough to go out and get his type of guy over the guys that everybody else has fallen in love with. I think Matt Jones, really, if he doesn't fit, you know, every other team, I think he may just fit a Kyle Shanahan. It's kind of like, you know, for different reasons, you know, you remember when Arizona, you remember when Arizona picked Kyler Murray in 2019? Sure, sure. He was the he would he would only be the number one overall pick for the Cardinals because No, see, see, I'm not sure that's totally true though. I I think there were other teams that would have taken Kyler Murray first overall. You think I mean could possibly, possibly, but definitely the Yeah, I I think the Raid I think the Raiders would have taken him if he was there. Yeah when they picked I just so, think that, you know, definitely it was, you know, the the coach, the coach player affiliation. And I'm not saying that Mac is directly affiliated with Cal, 
I just know that there's some connections, you know, to the offense that they run in Alabama, to what they did and, you know, to what they do in San Francisco. Yeah, and, I, I just, and I, I just, believe that when you see a guy that that runs the things that you want to do, and you know, you know, that they can do what you want them to do, I think they get a little bit more value. Uh, and, and honestly, Vince, you know, like, don't pay me too much, too much attention. No, 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 I no. really want to see them mess up and do that. Uh, so, so it creates a scenario where, and that, you know, if they do that. I think it creates a scenario where Atlanta now may have to process whether they want um, Justin Fields or Trey Lance. I, I think they, Atlanta and, might trade out of that. I, I mean, if I'm honest, I had a thought. I think Atlanta, Atlanta are another team that I would be amazed if they're not listening to trade offers. Partly because I think should. their GM is quite smart um, from what I've seen, but also, yeah, yeah, but, is smart, yeah. But, but, but also because that is not a team that's a player away. No, you're right. I mean, and so, I mean, I'm, I'm with you there. You know, so let's say they trade out and presumably somebody would be trading up to pick either Lance or Fields, right? Yeah. So let's say they trade up to pick Fields because Fields we have, both of us have as at least the second best quarterback in the draft. Yeah. So that leaves Trey Lance out there. So that's an interesting scenario for me because Cincinnati's not picking Trey Lance. No, they pick Sue um, or Chase. Miami's not picking Trey Lance. They pick Chase or Pitts. Yeah, and so now, now Detroit, I think it's interesting for them because I think they would be interested in a trade last, especially with having Jared Goff, but you just never know what they're going to do. Yeah, no, so, I, I, I think I think if the 49ers take Matt Jones, then I think the Panthers are in a pretty good position. Because I think I think true. that then you've got Lance, Fields, Pitts, Chase, Sewell. Yes. And, and one of those guys is going to be available at eight. That's, uh, and to me, that's crazy. And... Even if the Panthers don't necessarily want one of those guys, I think they would definitely be interested in. I think they are interested in Fields, Chase, Pitts, and Saul. I think they. I don't think they're that fussed about Matt, um, Trey Lance even. But if if Trey Lance is the guy of those five who's there at eight, somebody's going to come calling. You think? You think a Chicago or a, or a New England is gonna is gonna make oh, yeah. a phone call? Um, Most definitely. Most definitely. I mean, in 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 a scenario like that, although I would. I would seriously consider drafting Trey Lance if I was the Panthers, but if, I, if I, I was I, to get like a team. I, 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 I think Trey Lance is – I actually – earlier today I've written up my top 32 prospects that will come out sometime yeah. this week, and I had the caveat at the beginning that I can't grade Trey Lance because I think he's he's just so raw that it's just he – his, his value is entirely based on his ability to just become who who his physical ability says he can be. And, and his yeah. mental ability, fair. Like he's clearly a smart guy, but it, it's you. Ha- he has to be a guy that you are pounding the table to take. Like you know, if, if you're not sure about him, then don't take him because he is he is so raw. He you know he is a complete developmental guy who is not going to be ready for a year or two. So yeah, and we, I think we, he, we makes have the luxury, he makes more sense. He makes more sense like a New England who can just sit in behind Cam for eighteen months and, and worry about it in twenty twenty three. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I, I think we're in a scenario, you know, where we could sit him too. But you know, I'm not, I'm not saying we have to pick Trey Lance if he comes, you know, comes to us at eight. I just think that that scenario is the best case scenario for the Panthers because you know that if he's there at eight, then there's going to be a team that's probably in the top fifteen that's going to feel desperate enough to want to move up to draft him. Oh yeah, and that's and that's ideal for us because now. We have the flexibility to either take a quarterback and sit him behind Sam Donald um, for a year or two, and and or you know we can get a a big trade offer you know for 
that pick because Trey Lance is there. And so that's why I say, you know, the the Mac Jones scenario, you know, where he goes number three to yeah, that, that is the best for the Panthers. Yeah, it's it's so good for us because we either can get our quarterback or we get the most trade value, you know, at pick eight because either Lance or Fields. And I think we have to draft Fields, but those two quarterbacks are there, and teams want to move up to get them. Yeah, or, or it means that teams it it means that either that or there are five quarterbacks gone by the eighth pick. In which case, you're looking at one of Pitt, Sewell, and Chase being there. And, and while I'm not sure any of them would be my ideal pick at eight, it gives you much more trade-back options because it means that either there are no offensive tackles off the board or there are no receivers off the board. That would certainly, you know, if Chase is there, I think the Arizona Cardinals would probably be, you know, the Eagles would be calling, the the Cardinals would come calling. Like, you know, that there's going to be calls yeah. if you've got a receiver there at, at eight. So, uh, yeah. I agree. I, Mac Jones certainly helps the Panthers. I, I, I personally think it's Lance would be my bet if I was saying it's anybody. I think I think the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo can, are another team that can afford to take a guy and wait. Um, yeah. So if I was betting, I reckon it's Lance. But uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think the fields being there at eight is the real is, is fundamentally different from anyone else being there at eight. Uh, so let me let me ask you this: if if Trey Lance is the guy because I've seen Trey Lance, you know, as the other guy that they like in San Francisco as well. So if if Lance is the guy, mm-hmm. then then what you think? You think it's still a, um, a a scenario where Atlanta trades their fourth pick to somebody coming up to get Justin Fields? Yeah, I think that's quite likely. Yeah. I mean, if, if if I if I was betting, I'd say it goes Lawrence Wilson. Lance Fields and either Atlanta takes him or someone else takes him. Um, yeah. I think from what I've heard, Cincinnati is picking between Sewell and Chase. Okay. I guess Miami is picking between Chase and Pitts. Yeah. Um, I think there's a chance Atlanta takes Pitts, but I think it's not that likely. Um, I think the question then is what on earth did Detroit do? Detroit, I think the, the you know, Detroit are the really big question pick ahead of the Panthers because one, right. I think they could very well trade out, um, yeah. but also you know, I, I don't think they'd draft a quarterback. I, you know, maybe they would, but I, I, I think they, they would at least give Goff a year to prove he's not the guy. Um, they need receivers, but do they need receivers enough to take one if someone's offering a trade down? Like, I, I think that's another prime, particularly if someone like Fields, if I'm honest, I think if, if there's one of Fields or Lance left come the seventh pick, someone's going to trade ahead of the Panthers. Um, and would be my bet. But that, again, means another quarterback off the board out of the Panthers. So I, I I wouldn't hate that scenario. But yeah, the, the Lions are a really big question mark for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I think other than Fields being there at eight, I, I think it's going to be very hard not to listen to trade down offers. Yeah, uh, I think so. I haven't heard a, a scenario yesterday where the Chargers may be interested in trading up to get Sewell. Yeah, no, I think they would be. Yeah. And so I know that we have a little history of dealing, I guess that's the former GM dealing with Telesco out there in LA. But um, but I see a scenario where they could even move up, like if Sewell drops to eight, they may even move up to get him, you know, from us. Oh, yeah, no, so, I, uh, that would be a good deal for Carolina, I think. I think so. I think so. I, I know that Sewell played with Justin Herbert in Oregon, and, and that's what I saw. I don't know how much you know, power he has out there to request his left tackle. But but that was a scenario that suggested that he was lobbying to get, you know, Sewell and they would have to move up to get him. So it's, I'm, I'm watching that scenario too. And so I think 
we would definitely have some some optionality at eight. I know that's David Tepper's favorite word. And um, and so I'm, I'm eager to see how that plays out. So that's the first round. Uh, what, what do you anticipate happening? You know, let's say we get that scenario, you know, and, and we get uh, we trade back and we're still able to get one of our guys in the first round. And, uh, and one of our guys, I mean, you know, we can get Darisaw, Slater, um, Sertain or Horn, um, you know, you know, in the in the teens, in the early teens or something, and we still, you know, move on to day two. So, you know, what would day two look like for you? Well, I think it depends room? a little bit exactly what they do. Um, I think, although people have talked a lot about the depth of this tackle class, and I, I do think it's very deep in terms of draftable guys. Like, I'm not surprised that they have a lot of draftable tackles in their 155-ish board. I would be shocked if they have that many in their top 50. Um, yeah. I think there's a real drop off off the top few tackles, particularly if you want left tackles. Um, maybe they go after a developmental guy like a, a Sam Cosby, like Sam Cosme even, or a, a, even a bit later, like a James Hudson. But I I, I think, yeah, I, I personally think they're most likely to go tackle in the first round, if only because I think if you want a left tackle, your probability drops off quite a bit after that. Um, after the top three guys, I think you're really looking at a, a fairly small set of guys who have that kind of upside. Um, hey, I did see reports that my guy is is gaining some steam and, and moving up towards the first round rating. Um, oh, I can back. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, so I, I laughed at it when I saw it because we had just had that discussion about him. But, um, but yeah, you know, so he's getting a little appeal to. I don't know if he would be on the Panthers board. Yes, there, yeah, but. I, I, yeah, I, I would hope that's not the pick. Um, I, <laughs> I, I think the one thing that, that does mean then is that if you're looking at, like, if you've got a situation where you're picking between, say, Darasaur and Horn or Slater and Sertain, say, although in both cases, I think both Horn and Sertain are possibly better pick than Darasaur and Slater. Yeah. Um, certainly Sertain is better than Slater. I don't think I'd, I'd argue anything other than that. But um, I, I think in that scenario, you also have to look at what the rest of the draft looks like. And while, again, you can't get too cute and start trying to go, oh, well, this guy will be there around from now. But if you look at the, the cornerback class and the tackle class, in a tackle class, there's like three guys, a gap, one guy, a gap, three guys, a gap kind of thing. You know, there, there's a real drop-off after that first sort of three prospects. With the corners, there's a lot more options. I mean, you've got Sertain and Horn, but you've got Farley, you've got Newsom. Or again, I don't think it'd be great for the Panthers. I'm not as high on, but you know, he's probably going to go in the first round. You've got Santa yeah. Samuel Jr., you've got Kelvin Joseph, you've got Tyson Campbell, Eric Stoke, Sean Wade, uh, if I are to like there, there are like 10, at least day two cornerbacks in this draft. Um, I think that means you'd be better to wait to day two for a corner. Um, yeah. I, I think a cornerback in the second or third round, I think, is definitely a, a real option. I think defensive tackle. I think he probably not the third round. I think defensive tackle is strange. I think it's probably either a second or a fourth round thing. I think either you get one of the like Onwuzurike, Barmore, or Nixon, um, or you went to like, the fourth round and then you're looking more at like Cam Sample, um, uh, the guy from UCLA whose name I've forgotten, uh, Ozura Digizua. Yeah, and there's a couple of other guys, you know, potentially like Chauncey Goldston as a central three tech conversion. Like you're, you're looking more at those guys in sort of the fourth round than I think in the third round, there's again a bit of a gap of talent, a D tackle. Um, and maybe Twyman as well in the fourth. Sorry, I forgot about him. Um, so I, I think my best guess would be tackle in the first round, 
defensive tackle in the second, and then probably cornerback and safety in the third round if they trade down. Um, right. Would be would be my personal guess, but I really don't know. I think I think receiver is something they'll look at as well. I think guys like Amari Rogers, um, Schwartz, uh, Eskridge, and others I think are going to be options on day two. Um, and, and, I mean, and then you have interior offensive line as well. I think Creed Humphrey is going to be really hard to pass on if he's there at thirty nine. Yeah. Um, I think you know, guys. I mean, some of them might be gone, but Wyatt Davis, um, again, another guy who who could be an option until the second round. Uh, I'm not sure there's that many other interior offensive line guys. Landon Dixon, I'm not sure is the best scheme fit. Um, so he's sort of probably more of a power run guy. But yeah, I think safety, interior line, D tackle. I think linebacker is the odd one because I think particularly after getting Perryman, I'm not sure. I think that would be a luxury. Like I think you'd have to think someone would really fall in to take a linebacker. Um, maybe if like Chaz Surratt is there in a third round or something like that, but I, I, I can't really see linebacker being, being an option in the second round. Um, yeah, maybe tight end. I mean, the, the issue with tight end is there's such a drop off after, after pits that you're then looking at sort of like, you're then looking at guys like Hunter Long in the third round or like, uh, um, oh, Noah Gray or Kenny Yaboa or a Trey McKitty or, a, um, Oh god, who's the SMU guy? Kylan Granson. Um, you you're looking at those guys on day three, or like Hunt Long, probably third round kind of thing. Like, I, I, we had Granson on the show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's yeah. a he's a more developmental guy. Like, I I think the Dan Arnold signing is is an interesting one. It it it, it really turns a lot on what they think about Ian Thomas. Um, if yeah. if if they're like he's done, he's not going to be part of the long term plans. Then I think it's easier to draft a tight end. And if you cut Ian Thomas, then you cut Ian Thomas. Um, but if they, if they, I mean, I think he Thomas has shown some nice flashes. I think he still has kind of struggled to put it all together in recent years. But um, ultimately, he's kind of running out of time to do that. So I, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, if they draft someone like uh, Hunter Long in the third round, if he, you know, if he and Thomas gets cut because he can't beat out Colin Thompson as a specialist blocker or because they bring in a, a Trey McKitty in the seventh, sixth or something, like I, I don't think you lose sleep over that potentially. Like I, you know, I think a year ago cutting him would have been quite hard to justify in terms of you'd wonder why you'd invested at that position. Right. But I think now, particularly if he doesn't look really good in camp, I think he's going to be a guy who has to fight for a roster spot. Um, so what do you yeah. think about not just Dan Arnold, they've also added like think Steven Sullivan. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I think he's more competing with, with Colin Thompson. I can't see him being a major part of the passing game. Yeah. I mean, but you know, with, 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 you know, we have Dan Arnold, Dan Arnold, Steven Sullivan, um, Colin Thompson, um, you know, the, yeah, I, I really don't see Ian Thomas being on the roster. Oh, no, I, I, could, I, could, I, I could definitely see him being on the roster. Um, I don't know, you know, like it's, it's starting to look like, I mean, and, and I would be amazed. I wouldn't be surprised would... if he, I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks around. I'm just starting to, you know, see, you know, the writing on the wall, you know, like they may move on from him this year. I mean, I think they may. Um, yeah. I would certainly would be, I would be, I would be very surprised if Stephen Sullivan made the roster and he didn't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know Stephen. I know Stephen Sullivan. You know, has some ties to Fitterer. You know, and he has some um, some ties to Joe Brady. Yeah, but that shouldn't. That, I mean, ultimately, that gets you in the door. That should not get you on the roster. Um, well, it's going to be on Ian Thomas, though. You know, like you know, Ian Thomas. Oh, you know, it's, it's, he, he had some opportunity last year, and I know. I mean, going more for you know from what he did before last year. I really thought he had the opportunity to to really step up, and especially with Greg Olson moving on. And I don't know if it was, you know, based on scheme last year, um, or you know, his health or ability, or you know, Teddy. I don't know, you know. But for some reason, 
you know, even with the opportunities he did have last year, you know, he just didn't look all that special. And But I know he has the talent. I know he has the, the attributes. He's an explosive guy at that size. Um, I just I just don't know how much more patient they're going to be with him, um, well, you know, think, especially if they get a chance to upgrade. I think it depends what you have, what your other options are as well. Like, yeah. if he's the number two tight end, that's fine. I mean, you know, I... I I don't think he's a bad player. I just think he hasn't shown himself to be an especially good player so far. Um, and I think those are things you want to upgrade, but you don't just move on from, from decent players because they're not great players. You have to have someone better in the building kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I, I also you think... You see a Trey McKitty? You see a Trey McKitty as being somebody who can be better or Hunter Long, you know, somebody I, who can be an upgrade to Ian? I think Hunter Long, I think, would be an upgrade over Ian Thomas. I think Trey McKitty is more competitor for Colin Thompson. I mean, McKitty is ultimately a blocker. He's a blocker who can catch some passes. He's not a guy who's going to catch 40 passes a year, I don't think. Okay. Um, okay. I think, yeah, like Yaboa is kind of the the interesting one as a blocker who has that pass-catching upside. Um, to me, I see McKitty as somebody who could actually be a better pass-catcher than what he showed in college. And oh. I think, you know, his offense kind of limited him a little bit. I think but that I is definitely like, true. I also don't think yeah. he's going to come out and be a 40 reception a year guy. Like he is ultimately, yeah. he, he's yeah. he's not a bad athlete, but he's not some kind of, he, he, he's not particularly good. Like, you know, even at the senior bowl, he had some really good catches, but he wasn't creating very much separation. Yeah. Um, whereas guys like, you know, Noah Gray, I think of the senior bowl tight ends was, was really impressive as a round runner. Um, Kylan Granson has got the sort of, he's got the raw talent to tap into. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Quinton Morris has as well to a certain degree, though I think it would be really like a sixth, seventh round pick. Um, and then guys like Yeboah are more just like blocking specialists who have, like he, he can offer a bit more than someone like a man hurts ever could, if that okay. makes sense. Then, you know, just contextually for, for people listening, you know, we're talking about these guys as being like day three picks. Yeah. Um, you know, because Hunter Long, Long would probably go in the third round, but other than that, yeah, the day three guys. Yeah, so yeah, mostly they're day three picks. So you know, it just talk, you know, it just speaks to the drop off after Kyle Pitts. So it's like Kyle Pitts is like a you know the way they talk about him is that he could be generational. You know, and we know he's going to be a first round pick, but after Kyle Pitts, you know, you may not see another tight end go until you know late on day late on day two. And then, um, and then after that, like most of the prospects are slated to go day three, so fourth round, fifth round, sixth round type. Yeah, I, I mean, I have seen some stuff like Pat Freer moves going late first round, but I'd be astounded if that. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see that at all personally. But um, yeah, I, 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 I think there's a real gap between one and two, and then there's quite a big gap between two and three as well. I think. And the crazy part, I think Freemuth is, you know, for most people, they have him being their number two overall tight end. I just don't. I, I, I know. I know you don't. Yeah, I remember. I remember us having that conversation. It's, it's not just that I. It's one of, like sometimes there are players who you kind of, you can see where people are coming from. You just don't agree totally. Like you know, I, I'm I'm lower on Jalen Waddle. I'm lower on Penny Silver. It's not like I can't see the appeal of Penny Silver or Jalen Waddle. I just think they're top twenty-five players rather than top ten players. Um, whereas I don't get the Jay. I, I really don't get the. The Jalen, I mean, not switching gears completely, but I mean, I, I have to for this. The Waddle hype, you know, it's with really folks having him being top 10, I, I know he's like super, super fast, you know, but I've heard a lot of people say that he's better than um, Devontae, which he may be, Devontae Smith, and that he is better than Chase. And I don't believe uh, yeah, that. I, 
I, I personally don't see where they're coming from. I mean, I, I think there's, I think the thing with the receivers is that it's not just a qualitative, uh, it's not just, sorry, it's not just a, like a, a, a matter of how good they are, it's how well they fit what you do. It's probably a better way of putting it, rather than being fancy. Right. Um, right. Like, I really like Rashad Bateman. Um, but part of that is because he fits what I, what I would want from a receiver stylistically. Like, you know, yeah. ultimately, I think the difference between him, Devonta Smith, and Jamar Chase is really small. Like, and it really is what you want from a receiver. If you want a guy who can create the catch point down the field, then, then draft Jamar Chase. Like, yeah. if you want a guy who can be a vertical route runner and be, be really twitchy on, on, on sort of those sort of more vertical routes and quick off the line, draft Devonta Smith. If you want a guy who can be that really just technical intermediate route runner, and also have the speed to take off the de- top of a defense. Take Rashad Bateman. Like I, I, I you know, it's it's it, Waddle again. It's just like if you want somebody who's just really really fast. If you just want a go ball guy who can also get you yak, draft Jalen Waddle. I just personally don't think that's as valuable as someone who can create consistent separation underneath and in intermediate routes. Um, just my like, I mean, personal view. Yeah, and and I don't know. I mean, I I tend to. I tend to agree with that. I just, you know, I, I just keep seeing his name, you know, and and hearing buzz about people trading up into the top ten to get him. I'm like, why? You know, I, I watched him play a lot. I know he's special. I know he, you know, he he can be a specialist any receiver in the draft. I just don't see the overall appeal, you know, for any of these guys really, you know, in the top ten. You know, in terms of the you know the receivers, I know Chase is probably to me. Oh, see, see, I, I would definitely disagree with that. I think this is a really good top tier receiver class. Like, you know, but I top ten though. Top ten. I have three receivers in my top five. Whew. I have but, but Bateman, Smith, and Chase are all top five players for me. And Carl Pitts, who is like a borderline receiver, is is seven. You so, said Bateman is in your top five yeah. overall. Yeah, I mean ba- Bateman, Smith, and Chase. I basically just have one level. Um, like, I, I believe Chase. I mean, that's that's the one guy I said that I think is there. You know, but yeah, the, the other guys, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm fixated too much on what the Panthers are doing more so I mean, than what the wrong. I don't want the Panthers to draft a receiver or a tight end. <laughs> I think I, I, I ultimately, like, realistically, where the Panthers are right now, as good as Jamar Chase or Bateman or Smith or Pitts are, I don't think another skill position player moves the needle for the Panthers. Like, I, I just, I don't see a situation where the Panthers this year lose, or even in the next two or three years, lose because they haven't got enough skill position talent. They will lose because the quarterback isn't good enough or the O-line isn't good enough or the coordinators aren't good enough or the defense isn't good enough. Like DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Dan Arnold, David Moore and Christian McCaffrey is a very good set of skill position players. Like that's an an above average skill position group. Yeah. I I, I think you're making marginal gains by adding a Jamar Chase or a carpet, even if they are the best player left on the draft, on the board. I I mean, it's... Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, when I think about our offense, I think what everybody has forgotten, I mean, to include myself during last season, is how much more explosive and dynamic and unpredictable we are going to be. I hope unpredictable. You know, that was a problem that we had with Chris McCaffrey. But just getting Chris McCaffrey back and what that means, you know, when you pair him with um, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and having that for a full 16 games, you know, then you add in a Dan Arnold, you know, you got guys that you've added, like, you know, um, I think David Moore, um, at, you know, a receiver. And, you know, you got other guys coming in like Omar Bayless. I mean, yeah. I don't see the skill positions being a problem. Like you just mentioned, if we're bad next year, it's going to be because Sam Donald 
you know, and I was, <laughs> up until, you know, I guess they actually get rid of him, maybe Teddy Bridgewater. Like the quarterback position play is bad, you know, um, and, or the offensive line, you know, really didn't get figured out. Um, or the defense, even though we've made a lot of, you know, on paper improvements, they just couldn't come together and have the chemistry to stop anybody. You know, it's going to be one, you know, one of those things or a combination of those things you know, to be the reason why we're bad. And, um, yeah. But it, it won't be because we didn't have enough wide receivers or we didn't have a good enough tight end or whatever. The Panthers have 3,000-yard receivers on their roster currently. Like, <laughs> ultimately, there aren't that many passes to go around. Like, like Dan, Dan, Dan Arnold could easily catch five, 600 yards of passing in a good offense. Like, even if you're throwing, you know, DJ Moore has had, what, over 1,200 yards receiving both of the last two years? You know, yeah. Christian McCaffrey and Robbie Anson can both go for 1,000 yards. I mean, add in, add in you know, you've got 4,000 yards at least of receiving on the roster in the top, like, four guys already. You, yeah. you, you know, unless you're going to throw for 5,000 yards. Well, where, and there's no where, indication where, that anybody on this current team will throw for 5,000 yards. Like, we don't have that type of quarterback on the roster currently. No, no but, I mean, even if you do, like, you know, to throw for 5,000 yards, you have to throw the ball all the time, which means like McCaffrey's just not going to run the ball. Like, you know, yeah. if, if, if McCaffrey's running for over like a thousand yards as well, you know, you know, obviously McCaffrey's not going to go a thousand, a thousand every season, but if he's getting 80% of the way there, you're not going to have a 5,000 yard offense because you're not going to run the ball, you know, 300 times like they probably will do with him and Bonifon and others. You know, the number of teams that throw the ball for 5,000 yards is very, very few. I, I don't think any team in history has ever had 3,000 yard receivers at the same time. I don't think. No, I don't. I don't think so. Like you know, ultimately you can have loads and loads of good receivers, and it does help. And receivers are more valuable than just their yardage. Like the separation they create for others is valuable. However, you can't just keep adding weapons, adding weapons, and having no protection and no defense and no, you know, no 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 quarterback. Like you know, Jamal Chase and Carl Pitts are not moving the needle that much for this team. Right. I mean, carpets would help in the red zone, which is kind of the caveat to that. But even then, I, I, it, it, carpets and Jamar Chase would be a luxury, I think. And the Panthers can maybe afford luxury. Like maybe they go for it, but I think it would be, it would be luxury rather than necessarily moving the needle that much. Well, let me let me go ahead and clarify that. There was there's a list of teams who have had three thousand yard receivers, okay. and so I mean, I was somewhat surprised too, but I started thinking about, you know, I'm a little bit older than you. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I think I have seen this happen before. And let me see if I can find it real quick. So I guess we have the 1985 San Diego Chargers. No, yeah. no, no, no. That, 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 that's three 900 yard seasons. That's three, 900 yards. The thousand yards is it's 1980 oh, San Diego. I got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 1989 Washington, 95 Atlanta, 2004 Colts, and 2008 Cardinals. Yeah, that's that. I was on the wrong list. So yeah, yeah. So there are five teams who've done that before. Yeah. But as I look at that, those teams, I think <laughs> the only one who was like the, the 95 Falcons did it without a single player who made either the Hall of Fame or all the Pro Bowl that year. They had 3,000 yard receivers, and none of them made the Pro Bowl. Sorry, that's just. I'm fantastic. trying to think of that. That Washington team, I think they may have been, if it wasn't their Super Bowl year, I think it was like the year after. I can't remember though. No, uh, I, I definitely was not around. I mean, I, I yeah. know, I know. Uh, I mean, uh, but you know, I'm, 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 I'm old enough to remember that. And then 
And then the 2008 Cardinals, you know, that was the year where I think they actually went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, and, and two of those receivers went over a thousand yards by less than forty yards. So it, you know, it was it, you know, the, yeah, it obviously yeah. still counts, but it, it's you know, yeah. But that, either way, you know, I don't, I don't think having an offense like that, you know, obviously, I don't think you need that, you know, to be successful. I just think that you know those, especially that two thousand eight Cardinals team, you know, yeah, two guys on there that were really special and and, yeah, yeah. and, and Fitzgerald, and um, the Panthers. What I would like to see for them, you know, like you said, is 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 not to have to go out and get another guy because I think we have the we have a roster right now to have three one thousand yard guys, you know. So we already have that, you know. Adding a fourth yeah. guy, you know, really wouldn't do anything. I know we're not going to get four one thousand yard receivers, and so um, you know, so I'm like you, you know, like yeah, no, just I- the offensive line. Don't let the offensive line be the problem, you know. And, and, and if a special quarterback falls to you get that guy, you know, so it doesn't have to be a problem in the future. Um, Cornerback, you know, like those are the positions that I think, you know, we need to focus on. And I think they will focus on. I don't think we'll see. I hope we don't see Scott Fitter and Matt Rule be goofy on on, on day one. I think they're going to do something smart. And I'm just eager to see what that is. Joking aside, I do think both Chase and Pitts are legitimate options for the Panthers eight. Like, I think they are players they would consider. Um, I just personally they would not be the pick that I would be super enthused about. Even though from a value standpoint, I cannot argue with Chase and Pitts being worth the eighth pick. I just, I, I don't think they're players that move the needle that much for the Panthers. Well, I, I don't, I don't argue, you know, with them being like Pitts to me when it comes to, like I said, I know I don't see any wide receivers in the top 10, but you know, Pitts to me is a guy that I think he can be so so game changing, you know, if, if, you know, I don't know if, if for our team, but just in general, I think if we pick him, I, I would rather have him than Chase based on what our roster looks like, because I yeah, think, I think you I agree told me that, that, um, that, you know, like Chase plays a lot like DJ Moore. Yeah. And I don't necessarily need two DJ Moores, you know, but if you give me a Kyle Pitts, I know it's only one Kyle Pitts on the roster, you know, or, yeah. and it could be only like one, he could be like one of only three or four guys in the league, you know, based on what he can do from the tight end position. No, I, so, I think that is true. I, but I, I, what I do think is also true, just quickly, is that both guys are going to make their money going deep. Like not not all the time, but they're going to make their money on receptions of 15 yards or more. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Dan Arnold is going to make his money on 15 yards or more. DJ Moore is going to make his money on 15 yards or more. Robbie Anderson is probably at his best working 15 yards or more. And ultimately, you've got like, okay... If the Panthers put their five best skill position players on the field, you got four guys who are deep threats and Christian McCaffrey. Right. Uh, and don't be wrong, that would be very fun to watch. I'm not sure how effective it is when you actually need to move the ball on third and five. Because you can't yeah, just I mean, keep you can't just run four verticals every single play. Yeah, I don't know who our you know short possession guy would be this year because last year it was it was Curtis Samuel. Yeah. And so this year, you know, I don't think that guy's on the roster unless somebody like Brandon Zoustra or, you know, David Moore, who is also a deep ball guy. I don't I think, I don't o- think o- o- Omar Bayless is probably the best fit. Bayless. That. Yeah. But, I, I, but, I, I hope Bayless makes the roster. I don't yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's still not a 100 you know, thing where he makes the roster. I think he does, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think he has to be healthy. I think he has to be healthy and I think he has to beat out Brandon Zoustra. Um, yeah, I think it depends who else they had a receiver as well. Like at the moment, he's probably receiver four. Bayless, you think? Yeah. You think he's ahead of Moore? 
No, sorry, Moore's three, isn't it? Yeah, to me, David Moore would be Receiver three. three currently. Yeah, so, so, so then Zouster and, and, Bayless, are and, four and Bayless would be four and five. I and think I they probably carry Zouster right now. But yeah, okay, maybe he's five, but I think they carry six. I, th- you know, I think I could certainly see them carrying six. I think if they one would have to be a special team, right? Yeah, that's all to play special teams. And um, Bayless would play special teams, and David DJ Moore, uh, David Moore's going to be the punt re- kick return guy. I think in all likelihood. Okay, I got you. I mean, I, I, don't know, you. I, I think it's likely the Panthers would like to add another re- add another receiver, um, yeah. probably as that number three guy. I just think okay. doing so with the eighth pick is a luxury. Like someone like Amari Rogers in the top, top of the third is, is much better value in my view. Or even a Kadarius Tony in the top of the second if he's there, I'd be much much happier with that than taking someone like Jamar Chase at, at eight. Even though I did think he's excellent. Did we speak much on Tylen Wallace when we covered wide receivers? I can't remember. We didn't. I'm not the biggest fan. I think I think he's fine. I just don't think he's anything particularly special. Okay. Okay. You know, I saw him, I saw a little thing on him on Friday, I believe, and, you know, and it kind of piqued my attention. I was like, oh, I was like, this guy could, he could be somebody, you know, if he if he falls, you know, to like the third round, you know, that where they can take a flyer on him. I don't know, you know, but. Yeah, I think third, third like fourth, once you get to like the third or fourth round, I'd, I'd have some interest. I'm not sure he really, I think if you're going to have, I think really the, the best fifth Panthers is somebody who's going to win underneath, and I'm not sure that's Tynan Wallace's game. I think someone like Rogers or, I mean, Eskridge is more just like a developmental deep threat guy, but yeah, I think things like Amari Rogers would be a would, or Kadarius Tony, who are going to be more sh- sh- intermediate round runners and short intermediate round runners. I think they would be would be this, all the best fits. And I know that's why you are high on Rashad Bateman too, because I know he yeah. can do that. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, that's who he is. I think the thing with Bateman is Bateman can basically do everything. Yeah, he can like, do it all. Yeah. It's like watching Alan Robinson if Alan Robinson ran sub four four. It's just, yeah, he, he's, he, I think, but Bateman, Bateman is really special. It's crazy when you say that, too, because, like, like, Allen Robinson, but faster. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> like, that's kind of scary. To he, he, he is definitely, the like, watching Bateman on tape, but, I mean, his 2020 tape's a bit weird because I think he had COVID and also Minnesota completely yeah. imploded. But if you watch his 2019 tape when he was, you know, when they were run, they, like, they didn't even run, like, a full round tree 2020. It was really weird. Um, but if you go watch his 2019 tape, it really is very reminiscent of sort of Alan Robinson at Penn State. Only yeah, that, he runs away that, from people vertically. And that's crazy when you think about it. But, okay, so, you know, just the kind of – I mean, I know we can't predict predict everything that's going to happen this weekend, but, you know, based on what you slightly. anticipate yeah, – Yeah, based on what you anticipate happening or would like to see happening, I think I'm in line with it. So, in, in the scenario – Let's just, let's just say the first four picks. We don't know how they'll come, you know, if there'll be a trade that scenario or not. But if the Panthers go, let's say, offensive tackle, um, interior offensive lineman, D tackle, and corner, not saying they have to be in that order, but if they go with those picks in the first four picks, then they're doing pretty much what we think they'll do. Yeah. Uh, you, you, obviously, you, you know, you, D tackle would be the one you know, where you don't know if they're going to pick that guy, you know, with you know their second overall pick or their third or their fourth, but just those those positions. Yeah, I mean, I think you do just always have to have the caveat of the really good player who falls. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think they like Richie Grant as a safety. I think they will consider him certainly in the third, but probably in the second as well. I think and we need a free safety. I mean, I, we need I, I another think, safety. I think Andre Sisko is in that conversation as well. Like, I think... That's you know, my even, guy. Even if, it's not the, even if it's not the biggest need, I think if he's there in the third, you have to consider it. Same with Kellen Mond. I think 
um, and probably like linebacker as well, a Chasserat or a, a Jabril Cox or maybe even a um, old Cam McGrow. I mean, like those guys. Hey, hey, you know what? You know what? I, I have I have jumped on your train, and I meant to tell you this earlier, but I saw a mock where we were able to pick up like Nick Neiman and I think his name is Nick Neiman in yeah. the fifth round. Yeah. And I, I was like, so. oh, I said, that's Vincent's guys. Like, man, I said, he'd be so stoked if we can get him in the fifth or sixth round. And, and so, yeah, like Neiman was actually mocked to the Panthers in one of these, you know, one of these draft analyst mocks. And I was like, oh, I said, that made Vince so happy. But, you know, after yeah, you told I, me about how explosive he was, they highlighted how fast he is. Yeah. And yeah, I was he, like, oh, that would be good. I also saw a mock this week where they took Javante Williams, the running back, in the second round. So, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, swings around yeah, about. Yeah, it's with a grain of salt. But, I mean, but uh, Nick Neiman in the fifth or sixth, I think that would be pretty Yeah, good. I mean, I mean, like, day three is just wild. It's basically just who is there. Um, yeah. and, and you see some really crazy trades. Like, um, last year, the Saints trading up for Troutman. Um, where yeah, it's like, was, take all was... of our day three picks. We just want that one guy. And it is one of those things like if you've got one guy who's just way higher than everyone else on your board and you're fairly close to filling all the needs. Yeah. It's better to get that guy than to get the guy who's, you know, you could get four players you have seventh round grades on or one guy you've got a fourth round grade on. Which one do you go for? You, you I know, mean, I'm, I'm down with that. Like, you know, like I actually thought about that, you know, like a few weeks ago. I was thinking, I was like, this was when we still had like the two six rounders. Mm-hmm. We still got two, thinking, we just don't have three. Oh, we don't have three. We still have two, yeah, because we got two in the in the comp. Yeah. Um, but let's say you know we still have two six rounders, and and instead of like picking like a guy in the seventh, like like package like the seventh and like one of those sixes up, and like move up to like the the fourth or you know like to just get like yeah. you get at the end of the fourth, like get a guy right that, there if that, your guy's that, there. I, what I would say is that draft capital capital on day three gets very not valuable very quickly. Like yeah. it's one of those things where like you'll trade like two sixth round. You if you trade like say the Panthers had kept two twenty two and two twenty six rather than um, trading way to they they traded two twenty six to the to the Jets. If they say they traded the one ninety yeah. say they traded traded one ninety three away the, 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 their first sixth rounder instead, like two twenty two and two twenty six, you might be able to trade those and get two hundred. Say like it really is like you 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 know. You have to give up quite a lot to move up in, in on day three, yeah. but but in terms of just number of picks, because like the two hundred twenty second pick is worth worth nothing basically. Um, you know, it, teams teams have so few players left on the draft board to that point that you have to give up quite a lot to move up any decent amount of space. So it would be more like the Panthers are at pick one ninety three. There's someone who gets to pick one eighty five they want, so they give up two twenty two to move up from one ninety three to one eighty five. That, that's that's more the kind of thing you'll see where they give up a sixth round pick to move up five or ten spots in the fourth or fifth. That that's that that's kind of what you'll see, I think. Um, and obviously, that means by trading back and just getting loads and loads of day three picks is useful because it just allows you to be aggressive in that way. You know, it takes quite a lot to move up on the first couple of days of the draft, but ultimately, like you can get sixth round picks for nothing. You know, you know, if the Panthers yeah. trade, say the Panthers trade back from like eight to 13 say and they pick up like a second or a sixth like you know the Chargers probably are not going to fight you for that sixth round pick if they're moving up five spots in the first round a sixth round pick is kind of neither here nor there like if, yeah. if, if you're you know this is what the, this is what the, the the Seahawks did really really well under John Snyder is they just made sure they got loads of extra picks like they might move back from say 
39 to 45. And they pick up, say, pick 110 and also pick like 119 and 222. And, 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 and that way, you're not adding that much value in terms of draft capital. You're just giving yourself loads and loads of picks to be mobile with and to yeah. use as ammunition or just to throw at players. Like, you know, once you get beyond like pick 200, you might not have any of your 150 on your board left. But what you can do is you can just throw darts at the board if you've got a couple of seventh round picks. You just go, you know, yeah. Basically, you just get you get an early. I mean, media phase, <laughs> yeah, yeah. drafted, but you get yeah, you get an early undrafted free agent. I mean, look, that, that's essentially what Stan Thomas Oliver was last year. He might well have been yeah. on their draft board. I can't say, but he was essentially just a, a very priority UDFA. Yeah, yeah, and you just making sure you get your guy. Yeah. Kind of like you know how New Orleans, you know, in, in that scenario where they, you know, they kind of went back and forth between the Saints and the Panthers for Tommy Stevens, they moved up and got their guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was stupid, but but you know, it's it, <laughs> yeah, it is that kind of thing. Like seventh round picks are pretty much worthless. Like yeah. you know, the number of trades you see, which are conditional seventh round pick, like yeah. that's basically just give it. You know, it's it, it's you know, it's nothing. Well, let me ask you this question real quick because I think it's something that's floating around in the air and and I'm just waiting to see what happens with it. Do you see the Panthers trading Teddy Bridgewater this weekend? I can definitely see it happening. Um, I think it probably the most likely destination is the Saints. Um, I'm thinking Denver. Maybe. I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they went after Matt Jones. Like, if if... If Mac Jones makes it past the 49ers, I think Denver's the next logical stopping point. Um, okay. I, mean, I could be wrong on that completely. I probably but I, I know that there's a tie to Teddy uh, with the offensive coordinator, Shermer, in, in Denver. I think he was in Minnesota when Teddy was drafted. Okay. And so yeah, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think there's a relationship there. And, and there, there's been some early ties. And, and I won't go as deep as to say that I've, you know, done a little investigating, but um, but I do think there's a connection there to watch for. So I yeah, think it, I, I think it depends on what Denver is able to do in the draft, you know, like early in the draft in terms of like, if they're trying to make a power move to go up and get a quarterback, I think if they get their guy, then maybe they just stay pat, you know, and, and, and work with that guy and Drew Locke. But if they're not able to make a move to get their guy um, and they, and they pick another position, I think you'll see them, you know, potentially offer the Panthers something for a Teddy Bridgewater. I'm just guessing at that, you know. Yeah, I, I think it has to be a team that wants a quarterback in the short term. So you're looking yeah. at Chicago, uh, Denver, New Orleans. I don't think there's anyone else. I mean, I think, like, those are the, to me, those would be the yeah, top teams right now. Team. Just thinking about teams that have a, a, a defense that's ready to win. And, you know, they don't need a, a quarterback of the future, per se, but they need a quarterback to be competitive with this year. And I think I think Denver is one of those dark horse teams that would that would or could use Teddy Bridgewater um and would, you know, make a pick, you know, almost as an insurance play to make sure that they have a quarterback who can who can, you know, manage manage the team, you know, with you know with a good defense. And yeah, so uh, I'm 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 interested to see that because I, and the reason I bring that up is because I'm thinking about, you know, scenarios where we could potentially pick up a couple of more picks and I, I forget, you know, that we still have a scenario with Teddy Bridgewater where I don't see him and Sam Donald being on the roster this summer, and you know, and, and the draft is a is an opportunity for them to make a move. And you know, yeah, no, like I, 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 I think that is um, is definitely a possibility. I yeah. 
how can I put it? I I do think his contract is going to be quite hard to move. Um, yeah. And while I I do think that um, how can I put it? I, I do think they prefer not to have both of them on the roster. Right. Like, I, I do think in an ideal world that will not be the case. Yeah. Um, however, with that said, uh, it's going to be quite hard to to move on from Teddy um, this year unless the team actually really wants him. Or you're I think they have to really him. want him. And I think the Panthers will have to kind of really want to move him. I think they'll have to, to make the deal to where, you know, some of the burden for the, you know, for the salary – well, you know, a lot of the burden for the salaries, you know, remains um, to to make the deal worthwhile. And so, um, and then, you know, let you let the team and Teddy figure out, you know, what they're going to do on their end on the receiving team. So um, I don't know, man. I'm just honestly at this point, I'm just thinking about what's ahead of us. And, and honestly, you know, I don't think Teddy and Sam are going to coexist. I don't think the team would want that because I think the locker room would still have, a big connection to Teddy. Um, you know, I know people didn't like, you know, having Teddy on the team as quarterback, but I, I do think Teddy had a connection in the locker room. And I think in order to establish Sam Donald as that guy, if we end up going forward with him, I don't think it would be ideal to have him and Sam in the same, in the same locker room competing, you know, for that position, especially, I mean, they're not high profile guys per se, but, you know, they, they, they're too big to coexist in my mind. And so, uh, so yeah, I, this would be a good opportunity for the Panthers, just speaking yeah, business no, 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 wise, right. to make a move, you know. And, uh, and and I would like to see them get a pick or two for Teddy, um, and because I think that ultimately puts us in position to do a lot more with. So I mean, it's just yeah. a, another wild card scenario. Oh, no, I, I, I think they would definitely like to be able to trade Teddy. Um, yeah, I'm just yeah. not totally sure anyone's going to offer them very much. If yeah, anything. and then. That, and then that that would be a big thing, you know, with this salary. But I think I think there are ways to to manage that cap wise, and we'll see. So you know, there's a couple of things I want to ask you before we close out this episode. Um, you know, you hear the argument often on Twitter, and you know, just in general about the draft, and you know, trying to figure out, you know, if teams should take the best player available versus um, trying to fill a position of need. What's your take on that? Um. I certainly think drafting solely based on need is a bad thing. Like you should, you know, your Panthers should not be, what's our biggest need tackle, right? We're just going to take the top tackle on the board. Like that is, that is stupid. Um, I do think you largely have to go best player available, but you have to be very careful how you define best. Like it should not just be, we take the highest graded player we have, regardless of what else is on our roster and like what we do schematically. So if the Panthers still had Cam Newton, and Cam Newton had never got hurt and was playing in his absolute prime and was coming off an MVP season. Don't draft Dustin Fields. You know, you know, you know, you you have to be smart about what you do as well. It's about building competition is important, all that kind of stuff, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. But Green Bay drafting Jordan Love last year was really silly, for lack yeah. of a better term. Um, yeah. Like that's just not you know. Even if he was your highest rated player, he could well play his entire rookie contract and not make a single like throw. That's crazy. And, yeah. and that's, so clear, that's, yeah. that's so clearly not a good use of a pick. Um, yeah. Similarly, the Panthers, even if you have a running back as your top prospect in the third round, don't draft a running back. Like it's just He's just <laughs> not going to see the field. Yeah. Um, and so I think you do have to go, you have to set your board based on how good you think players are, 
but then you have to take a few things into account. One, how they fit the players that are already on your team. So both in terms of depth, but also stylistically. So yeah. obviously if you've got a running back who's going to play 70% of the snaps, don't draft a running back in the second round. But also if you've got a load of receivers who are really good going deep, maybe don't value deep threat receivers as highly. Um, so there's some of that. There's also the bit of like having to look at what the board does beyond where you're picking. So if you've got a cornerback is your top prospect, but you've also got a cornerback as your fifth prospect, your eighth prospect, your 10th prospect, and your 12th prospect, you probably don't need to draft like the marginal gains you're making by taking that guy versus the guy who's around, a late year, around later is fairly limited. But if you have a tackle as your sixth prospect, but then your next tackle is your 412th prospect, and you 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 know you have a space for a tackle. That tackle is probably more valuable to you than the top corner because it's about above replacement. You know, ultimately, it's going back to like baseball. You want the player who's the best above replacement, and essentially, above replacement means above the guy you can get around later. Yeah. So you obviously can't overthink this, and you can't try and play like mind games and try and see what every pick is going to be. But if you look at your board and you go, we've got a real density of corners. We've got like ten corners in our next top twenty prospects probably don't draft a corner. If you've got one tackle in your next 400 prospects, probably draft a tackle. Um, yeah. You know, you, 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 you have to look not just at who the player is, who's at the top of your board, but where the board lies after that. So, and I think that that's really where it comes to. It's about taking the most valuable player, not necessarily the best. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think, you know, that gets lost, you know, because all we see, you know, are the guys, you know, who we end up picking and, you know, who's immediately available you know, like right after the guy we pick. And, you know, and so I think what's lost is the anticipation of who's going to be available the next time we pick. Yeah. And, you know, because typically where there are 31 picks in between your pick and your next pick. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and if you're a guy and you're looking at a guy that, you know, that's, that's really high, but you know, you know that there's another guy that you really like and, you know, you're like, okay, you know, like the guy that I really like, you know, is, is a few picks away and maybe we shouldn't get him there, but I don't think he's going to be around if we come, you know, by the time the pick comes back around to us. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you see, you know, them pick a guy, that other guy, you know, who may not be the best player available, but they be higher on their, on their board. Um, you know, yes, because I, I, they, they, they fear that he won't be there when they come back around. See, I think that's kind of where I am with offensive tackle. I would be shocked. Sorry. I, I wouldn't be shocked. Cause I don't know, but I, <laughs> The top player on the, when the Panthers pick will probably not be an offensive tackle. You know, yeah. Maybe, maybe if Darasaw or Sewell have outstanding interviews, maybe they could rise up. But I think generally the odds are they'll probably be a skill position player or a cornerback as their top prospect. However, yeah. this draft is way deeper at those two positions than it is at offensive tackle. If you want like an actual like high quality starting left tackle, it has to be one of the top three players for me yeah. personally. Um, yeah. So the gap between taking a Rashawn Slater, who I don't think is a top 10 prospect in this draft, and taking Sertain, who I think is a top five prospect in this draft. Yes, Sertain is the better prospect, but I can get a player 70% as good as, or 80% as good as Sertain around later, whereas I can't yeah. get a player 50% as good as Slater around later. So yeah. that that's kind of, for me, a good example of where the thinking might be. It's not just about who is, you know, obviously the Panthers might disagree. I think it's probably likely that they have a, they do seem to like the, the BPA type model, but I think you do have to be smart about what your other options are going to be later on or what they are and likely it, to be. Yeah. And, and, and especially, I think that's really important, you know, in the first two days of the draft 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Come day three, just take whoever's there. Like, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Just take whoever's yeah. there. Yeah, take the best player there. But I think in the first, you know, two days of the draft, I think we really have to, you know, look out and anticipate. If I don't draft the guy I want now, will I have an opportunity to draft them? You know, when my pick comes back around again. And if your answer is no, and you really like that guy, I think you got to pick him, even if you have to reach a little bit for him. And so, um, you know, just based on what you need, you know, and, and for us, we know we need a left tackle. So yeah, I, I think in the first round, that's what we're going to see. Yeah, I think you shouldn't reach two. As in, like, the Panthers should not. So they've got their, like, their top 16 prospects. You should yeah. not take someone outside that top 16 over someone in that top 16. No. Like if, if, you have no a tier, if, you, if you have a tier and you've got guys left in that tier, take someone in that tier. However, if you've got a tackle and a cornerback in that tier left, in this draft, take the tackle because the cornerback in, in the next tier, there are more tackles. There are, there are more corners in the next tier than there are tackles in all likelihood. Yeah, and I'm with that. So another thing I wanted to, to ask you about is during Scott Fitterer's and, and Matt and Matt Rule's press conference earlier this week, they mentioned that they will pick guys who fit the team. And I took that as fitting, you know, what they envision the Panthers new team culture being mm -hmm. and so you know when they said that you know you know it he made it seem as if that way heavily into how they rank guys on their board and so you know just from your thoughts you know how did you anticipate that statement and, and what do you think he you know he meant by that or they meant by that so i think it's not similar to what all teams do really like you want players that you want to coach um isn't very surprising. Um, I, I think there are probably going to be a few players they just exclude from their board. And every team will. Players they just don't think fit them, aren't part of the culture they want to build, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's also just like a sliding scale. Like, you know, you, you want players who are coachable, you want players who are serious, who are diligent, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think this current coaching staff seems to have a preference for players who are, who are more... Um, a bit more serious than maybe the average. Like I think Matt Rule likes guys who are going to turn up and treat it like a job. Um, yeah. And obviously, ultimately, it is a job, but you know, it's it's sort of a bit different than most people's jobs. So, like, I, I think they probably have a little bit less time and space for sort of big personality guys than some other teams do. Like, if you look at the guys they drafted, like Derek Brown's quite a quiet guy. Yeah. Lisa Gross Massos is quite a quiet guy. Jeremy Chin's quite a quiet guy. Yeah. Troy Pride you know, he's a cornerback, but for a cornerback, he's quite a quiet guy. Um, yeah. Kenny Robinson's a quiet guy. Bravion Roy's a quiet guy. Stan Thomas Oliver's a quiet guy. You know, you look at the guys they drafted, none of them are super big personalities. Right. Um, I, I, I don't think that means that they, you know, ultimately you can't just pass on guys because you don't like who, you know, you know, if you think they're good at their job, you shouldn't not hire someone because they tell too many jokes or they, you know, <laughs> laugh a little bit too much or that kind of stuff. But, you know, it, 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 it you're an idiot if you take these things too seriously, but you do have to yeah. have guys who, who you think fit what you want to do and who ultimately you're going to work well with. Um, I mean, you know, to, to kind of, you know, reflect back onto something that you know, people maybe have more personal experience with, but like when, when, I, when I, I remember talking to like, you know, teachers I had at high school when I was applying for college and stuff. And they were like, if you are in like that very, very top tier of candidate, you'll get in regardless. But for yeah. like, for everyone else, it's kind of, unless you're in the top 20% or the bottom 20%, if you're in that middle 60, as much as anything else, they want people they want to teach. Like, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, you don't want to, you know, particularly like university, if you have like a lot of classes with a particular professor, like 
if they really don't like you, they don't want to spend 10, 15 hours a week with you. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously that, that should not be all of the evaluation. Like you have to be good enough for the stuff. And if you're good, you know, but if you're picking between the 63rd percentile and the 61st percentile, you want the guy you want to work with rather than the guy who might be a tiny bit better on tape kind of thing. You know, you, know, well, you don't and, want and you, I get that. You know, I think, I think people need to, to understand that. You know, you have to be with these guys a lot, you know, starting in the spring, you know, all through the summer. You know, I mean, they take breaks, but but once the season starts, it's like every day, you know, and, and you know, from training camp, you know, all the way through December and even through January. And you want guys, you know, who you can who you can coach. And, and Matt Rule is, you know, is still coming from the college ranks. And, you know, he needs to make the adjustment, you know, to coaching professional players. And, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, after the first few years, you know, they become multimillionaires, you know, if, if they are star players. And, you know, so you have to make an adjustment somewhat, but, you know, you can definitely tell by the acquisitions he's made, you know, in his first year or so that he likes grinders, you know, he, he likes guys that, you know, come in, put their head down. They're not bigger than the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to, you know, to, to suggest that, you know, he made moves in the past based on players who were, but, I think it even came from, like, let's say Cam Newton. And, you know, I don't want to make this a Cam Newton session, but Cam Newton mentioned recently in, you know, the I Am Athlete pod, you know, that he felt the Panthers were intimidated by him. And I took that as, you know, who he is, his persona. um, And he felt that it wasn't a match for, you know, Matt Rule and and Dave Tepper. And, And they've never said that, you know. And so that's, you know, to be fair to them, but, you know, when you looked at who they brought in, you know, to basically supplant him, you know, last season, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who is literally the the complete opposite of what Cam Newton was and the, with the Carolina Panthers. And then a yeah. year later, even we're not being satisfied fully with what Teddy brought to the team. You know, the guy that who would be the presumed replacement for him and Sam Donald is another guy who's just like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, so, I, I, you know, I, so they, they are very similar in that way. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, I think, in you know, as a coach, it's not unreasonable that you would probably it would probably make your life easier to to have a guy like Teddy than a guy like Cam. You know, it doesn't mean that the owner should want to or anything like that. I'm not general. Cam Newton's a far better player of his career than Teddy is. I'm not saying anything, etc., etc., etc. It's just you know. Yeah. A guy who is just turns up, does his job, doesn't say very much, doesn't really cause much in the media, keeps everyone's lives fairly quiet. Coaches generally like quite a quiet life in that regard. Like, you know, yeah. they, they they don't like massive personalities all the time. And, you know, but but part of being a good coach is being able to cope with them. And it doesn't mean that you kind of have to... It's about learning to, to accept who people are. And as long as who people are is is fitting what you want from a, like, cultural point of view... Who they are from a personality point of view shouldn't really matter that much. Like no, if, I, pe- I, if people are really quiet or really big and loud, and I think this is going to be a big test for for Matt Rule is how you, you know, in college, you're effectively working with a bunch of children. You know, at least to a certain part. Like you know, you, you, you there will be some guys who are like 22, 23, but a lot of guys like 18, 19. They often come from you know, they don't have tons of money. That you know, they don't have a huge amount of security. They can't just walk out and leave the program. I mean, like some big five star guys can, but. But most players don't have that many options. Like if, if if you pull their scholarship, they're kind of in a really bad way. Whereas in the NFL, 
players have got way more money than you ever have. You know, you know, if you're a coach, like the quarterback is earning double, triple your salary. Right. So, you know, you, 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 you might be the biggest personality in the room, but you're certainly not going to have the biggest contract in the room. And you, you have to learn to coach when actually, if there's a clash between you and the star quarterback, you're probably the one that loses your job. Um, and and you have true. to learn to work with people who you aren't necessarily best friends with. Um and I think that's going to be a real challenge for Matt. And I don't think it's particularly a criticism of Matt Rule. I think it's just a thing that coaches who come from college have to deal with is this, you know, it's a different dynamic in the NFL. You're, yeah. you're, you're dealing with other adults who have got lives and responsibilities and families and mortgages and, and you know, have got the money that, that you know, in college football players just don't have and, and have some of that comes with ego, some of that comes with responsibility and, you know, Generally, if you treat people with respect and treat them like adults, that's a pretty good starting point. And I, and I certainly think this, this, this coaching staff do that. But there's a difference between like the basic level of respect you have to have for players, but, but then there's also the like understanding the dynamic and being able to, to appreciate different ways of doing something. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, what you said is true. This is going to be a big year for Matt Rue because this is year two. You know, last year was the first time he really had to do that. And now, you know, he's going into year two second year of a program. So let's let's treat, you know, the NFL, and it's not college, but let's treat this as if it was a college program that he was trying to build up. So last year was his first recruiting class. <laughs> this year is the second recruiting class, and it comes, you know, via free agency and the draft. You know, he's able to get guys in here who fits his culture, you know, who, you know, who fits, you know, his, his credo in terms of what he believes football players should be and, you know, a football team should be. And so, but while doing that, you know, he's doing it with a different dynamic of a, of a man, you know, in terms of, you know, some of these guys are millionaires and some of them, you may, you know, millionaires, you know, via free agency or whatever, you know, or the draft. And so, you know, managing that dynamic where guys, you know, you hope that they're hungry, you know, but I think that's a big part of it for him. I think he don't want to have guys that, you know, if they, if they get paid, you know, they lose a little bit of their edge or their hunger, you know, to get better, you know, to be excellent. I think he wants guys that if I pay a guy, I want to be able to trust that that guy's about football. Yeah, you know, he, he, yeah. He, he, he wants people who are going to come in and do their job. Um, yeah. and, and that's that's fair enough. I think it, it's, I don't think I have a problem with that. I think I will would start to have a problem if it's clear that he doesn't just want players who want to come in and do their job, but he's inflexible about what he thinks doing your job looks like. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to see that, you know, honestly, yeah, I, I, yeah. Do, I, I want I want the room, you know, especially in, in today's NFL, uh, it's still an, an entertainment business. And a lot of times, you know, when these guys have success, you know, their star sometimes can burn brighter than the team that they're on. Yeah. And, you know, through endorsement deals, you know, and, and, you know, and that's what success brings. I mean, even Christian McCaffrey, you know, he's still a pretty low key guy to be as good as he is, but, you know, but he's a, you know, he's a handsome guy, you know, he's young, you know, he has a, you know, a, a beautiful girlfriend, like, you know, cameras are going to be on Christian and, 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 and businesses know that they can market Christian. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the more successful he is, the, you know, the opportunities will be there for him. And if we get another guy, you know, who comes in and is special and, and, and we have to be successful too. You know, we're going to get marketing opportunities. Like a guy that I see all the time, you know, getting endorsement deals is like a guy like say Coin Barkley for the, for the Giants. You know, he's on like commercials everywhere, you know, because 
he has everything, you know, and so we have a guy like that, you know, if we get another guy, Matt Rule is going to have to learn, you know, how to, to manage guys as their star, you know, begins to burn brighter and brighter. And, 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 and that comes with success. And, um, and so, you know, hopefully, you know, he can continue to make that adjustment. I, I do like Matt Rule, you know, and like overall, I think, you know, he's a, he's yeah, a big guy. I think he has to win. Um, you know, just liking him and liking his personality isn't enough. He's going to have to no, take, no, you know, all the rah-rah and, you know, and, and the preacher man, you know, uh, speaking ability and, you know, and convert that to winning. So, again, this is year two. Um, I wish we would have approached last year as a full rebuild in earnest, you know, and, and not have, uh, you know, like miss um, yeah. objectives so we could really feel like this was a true year two of a bill. But I'm going to treat it like that anyway. So this is Matt Rue's second year. Second year of bringing in his people, you know, his players, and and know it's time to see, you know, if he can start to win with that. And I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to that. Um, but that said, you know, I, I think this was a good primer, you know, for this week, you know, having this discussion. I think, you know, we've established that we don't know what's going to happen in a few days, um, but you know, we would like to see um, the Panthers at least. I feel, you know, we we like to see the Panthers come away with a quality, you know, left tackle, you know, interior offensive lineman, um, cornerback, and an interior offensive lineman or two or two of each of those guys, you know, and, and, and maybe a tight end or so. And, you know, I think, you know, if we pick up those key positions early, I think the team would have improved. And I think we're, you know, I think we're improving overall anyway. Now, what's your take before we go, Vince? Yeah, I, I think you. I think it was interesting when when they did their sort of pre-draft press conference the other day. They were sort of, you know, Matt Rolls said, "What you want to do is look back in five years' time, and, and if you've got two great players, you've done well." Yeah, um, and I, I think that is some of it. I think one thing is also worth bearing in mind is that the the thing that I think Marty Herney did quite poorly during his tenure, which is that you also want to come away. It's valuable to come away with a handful of guys you think are contributors. Doesn't mean they have to be starters or anything like that. But if you if you come away for a draft with sort of you know four or five guys who are parts of your roster for their full rookie contract, you know that that, that that's a really good starting point. Particularly if you've got like seven eight picks, yeah. um, and that means when you get to day three, it isn't just about swinging for the heels and going for the upside. You've got to find guys who can come in and fill a role. And I think once you once you get past the top tier top tier or two of prospects, maybe it's at the top three tiers. Once you get to sort of like pick 120 and you're looking at that sort of bottom end of your, your draft board, you've got to think about guys not just who, who, who if they, everything works out, can be like starters, but guys who, who just come and do a role. Like, you know, like a Chauncey Goldston, for example, is never going to be a star, but he can come in and he can be that like strong side defensive end and he can do that role well and he can play 40% of your defensive snaps and be valuable. Like finding those guys on day three, I think is going to be a real challenge. And something that Scott Fitterer needs to prove that he can do is find not just find the one or two superstars, but find that the depth of contributors, because I think that's where Seattle have really struggled in the last five years, is they've hit on the DK Metcalfs, but they haven't built that depth of talent on both sides of the ball. And I think that's 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 going to be the real challenge, I think, and that's going to be the real test for, for this new sort of regime. You know, it's interesting when you bring it up, and, and not to harp on this too much, but, you know, you're right. You know, like early on in that Seattle team-building process, like they really were hitting – like all throughout the draft, yeah. um, you know, getting Richard Sherman in the fifth round, you know, finding Bobby Wagner in the second, you know, like getting guys like KJ Wright, you know, and, um, you know, they, they hit on players like Bruce Irvin and, you know, and, and defensive linemen they had, you know, across the years. Um, 
I can't think of the 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 one Michael. Uh, we asked the brother. I can't think of his name. Uh, regardless, you know they they hit. You know, okay. and, and the boom. Um, you know, you know they had Earl Thomas. You know, but yeah. But now later in there, later, you know, across the years for Seattle, they really didn't build that depth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that may not have been all on Scott Fitterer. You know, as he wasn't the GM. You know, but I know he was heavily involved in the college scouting. Um, yeah. I hope that, you know, with the Carolina Panthers, you know, he can, you know, kind of tap back into, you know, the first half of the decade with the Seattle Seahawks oh, yeah. and, you know, and find the later round talent. Because, you know, honestly, I felt Marty Herney did did well early in the draft while he was here. It was, you know, the day, the day three guys, you know, where he really never hit, um, you know. And, and yeah, he, he, he certainly didn't find consistent depth beyond the yeah. first round. Yeah, and, and that's and that's you know to me, you know, that's where Scott Fitterer can separate himself is by showing that, you know, at least in these building years, you know, where he can find, you know, some really good depth and you know players that can play, you know, on day three, you know, fourth and fifth round guys, you know, where they yeah. can actually contribute. And I want to see that. So you know, that said, you know, we finally get to see who Scott Fitterer is, you know, at least the the, the first iteration of him. Um, you know, in his first draft as a general manager, you know, for the Carolina Panthers. So it's going to be exciting, you know, to see how that develops this weekend. I'm excited. Um, I know there's going to be quite a few draft events, parties, you know, on the Internet, you know, sponsored by the Panthers, maybe even the, the Roaring Riot. I don't know. I just know a lot of people are talking about it. Um, finally, you know, able to see it come and come to pass. And, and you know, then we can stress about something else. So um, and we can stop. Um, What's that? And then we can sleep. I think it's yeah, the, we can uh, sleep. Uh, you know, we get and, and hopefully we can sleep unless they really mess this thing up, and then we just cry every night. Um, but <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to it coming and going, and um, and excited to celebrate this. You know, with the rest of the fans this weekend. That's all we have for you. You know, um, you know, as always. You know, if you like what we have to say, you know, please rate and review. If you didn't like what we have to say, please rate and review. Um, if nothing else, subscribe, uh, you know, so you can listen to, I think we have at least another episode, Yeah. Well, uh, you know, where we're going to come back and, and, and recap, you know, what actually happened, you know, over um, what actually happens over the next weekend. And, um, you know, hopefully it's an, it's an exciting episode to talk about, you know, some great picks. So, um, as always, you can find us on Twitter. Um, me, you can find me at Pathos Culture. Um, you can find Vincent at B. Richardson, Richardson 444 yeah. uh, on Twitter. And, you know, we always look forward to interacting with you and, you know, and um, going back and forth. If you, you know, if you have some questions about anything or you object to anything, Know, just keep it respectful and I think it's always been that way so uh, we appreciate all the interaction and, and the listening and everything we're about to you know bring this thing home it's been a great season so far you know one more week and then we can wrap it up so uh, peace to y'all and enjoy your weekend or enjoy your week